0: Hello, and welcome to the Movie Bunker Podcast. It's me, Chris. I'm <laughs> me, Matt. It's Hello. Like, this is weird today. <laughs> <laughs>
1: what? Yes. Drawing back the curtain on the podcast. Yes, yes. Like, you know, it's like stepping through Oz and finding out it's just a, an old fat man blowing out smoke um, well, Yeah, we're, we're
0: churning out some, with some intros today, aren't we? Yeah, we're kind of mass recording, which is the first time we've ever done it. So, you know, I guess normally you wouldn't tell this sort of thing to the audience, but we don't really care about you that sort of thing mind. No. so we've literally just done another intro so we're doing another one now but yeah it, you had an interview you spoke to anna smith i did i, I was very lucky because you set this one up and um <laughs> it's
1: a fantastic interview to have so thank you for that chris um anna smith is everything uh, broadcaster writer started the own podcast the girls on film podcast um you've seen her on on sky news um you've seen her writing in the guardian etc yes she does everything and made me feel particularly stupid, which isn't that hard to be fair. <laughs> um, but there you go. Yeah, so we had a, a good chat about the the kind of underrated, kind of strange little film, The Spy Who Dumped Me. Oh yes, never seen it, but it looks good. I've seen it twice now for various reasons, and um, yeah, it's I, I can recommend it. It's 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 kind of underrated, I think. But, you know, um, Anna's much more verbose than me about it. So here's the interview. Hi, Future Matt here. Um, Just a quick shout out that this uh, recording with Anna Smith did feature some technical issues, which um, results in a few pops and clicks and a little bit of echo from me. Um, Fortunately, not so much on Anna. So uh, all the good stuff is still there. Um, so apologies about the quality. Hello, Anna, welcome to the bunker.
2: Hello, thank you so much for having me.
1: You're welcome. I'm sat here with, um, well not sat, but virtually sat here with um, Anna Smith, curator and uh, creator of the uh, Girls on Film podcast, um, film reviewer, writer. I uh, was starting to write down all the sort of bits and pieces, um, the publications you've been on, programmes you've been on, podcasts you've been on, and the list was just massive. So I think just uh, if someone could take a, a look at your bio, it's huge. Um, it's very- yeah, it's been
2: quite a while. 20 years I've been working on building it up, so yeah. <laughs>
1: It's a big one. So, uh, could you tell us a little bit about yourself? So,
2: yeah. So, um, I used to work in dance music magazines, um, but then and women's magazines as well. But then I started writing film reviews and decided that's what I wanted to do. So, I went freelance in two thousand. Since then, I have not looked back. I've been building up a sort of portfolio with places like Time Out, Sight and Sound, um, Empire Magazine, and then I started doing more broadcasting in recent years. So, I've been doing Sky News. I've been on the Sky Oscars. Um, ceremony, you know, sitting on the sofa, a nice nine hour all night stretch. And I um, uh, recently began doing the Girls on Film podcast, which is all female voices talking about cinema, whether it's female film critics like Helena O'Hara or Larissa Biden Zada, or people like Brie Larson and Kerry Mulligan come on to talk about their work. So it's a feminine perspective on film.
1: Brilliant. Yeah, it's very good. <laughs> you say you originally began in the dance um, magazines. Uh, what made you switch to film?
2: Well, it's actually, I think, I was when I was a deputy editor of Ministry magazine. Um, and I suddenly, to be honest, before then, I hadn't really contemplated that being a film critic was something you could do for a living, um, perhaps particularly a woman. And um, I'd sort of fallen into dance music after my journalism postgraduate because it was just it was something I was into and there was an opportunity um, to work at a magazine. So that, that was all well and good. But when I actually started reading film reviews by our film critic at Ministry, I was just going oh my gosh, this seems like a lot more fun and a lot more my kind of writing. I think it's a very different kind of criticism and different kind of writing. And I wasn't cut out for the music writing at all. But film encompasses so many things about the human condition. And you could analyse so much about humanity in personalities, which interests me a lot more than talking about Sonic Cathedrals of Sound.
1: Okay. So before that, before you sort of, of whether you decided to pitch across, did you have like like, any sort of it history of sort of film reviews or anything like that? Or was it just literally the style of writing that really piqued your interest?
2: Well, I, I think when I actually started writing for the student newspaper, Lead Student, my first review was of Basic Instinct. So I think that, that the thought was there, that that was what I wanted to write about. And then when I started working for Minx magazine, it was um, an ill-fated but, but quite feisty women's magazine in the 90s. I was assistant editor there and I started doing film reviews there, partly because believe it or not no one else seemed to want to do them and I was like okay this is a free movie I can take my friend they give you a glass of wine you can write about it afterwards what is not to like and so I just started bagging all those tickets and started becoming the film reviewer in addition to my other job so it meant sort of like working longer hours but I'm extremely glad I did it so then I had all the cuttings when I went freelance to obviously go to empire and go to Out and gradually persuade them that I should be on their roster which you know took time but it happened.
1: So something we always ask um, our guests is um, about their sort of because the purpose of our podcast is to review badly reviewed films. And um, our very first intention was that we would find huge gaping holes in what viewers have done before and that these films that are badly reviewed would actually be brilliant. Um, what well, we've subsequently found since is that reviewers tend to know what they're talking about. And uh, um, if a film is poorly reviewed, it is normally quite bad. Um, so what we like to find out is whether or not there was a film in the last year that you were sort of really looking forward to that disappointed you.
2: Yeah, do you know what um, Colette did? But that's not to say I didn't think it was quite good. It's to say that I had very high expectations of it. Yeah. Um, So it's a film that really interested me thematically. I thought it was a period in history we don't see enough of with a really complex, interesting female central character. Um, and I thought Kira Knightley was probably at her best in this film. And it had aspects I really liked, but I felt that it actually spent too long focusing on her relationship with her husband and Dominic West took a little bit too much limelight away from her. And I also found it a little bit conventional in the telling for such an unconventional woman. So that would be my example for you, Colette.
1: So not necessarily a bad film, but just one that you sort of like, you you kind of like went in there expecting a lot more than actually was delivered in the end.
2: Exactly. I had very high hopes for it that were dashed.
1: (laughs) Okay, cool. Um, And the inverse of that, which film did you sort of like make it, oh no, this is going to be terrible, and ended up surprisingly enjoying?
2: I don't know about it, terrible, because I, you know, I have to say, as a film critic, I do try to go in with an open mind and not think, even if the trailer's bad, not think, oh, God, this is going to be shit, because let's give everything a fair hearing, you know, and I'm sure yeah. of the critics, are, I do need to sort of be impartial. However, um, with horror movies, I do often slightly dread them. And I think, oh, God, you know, am I going to be able to handle the hardcore horror and appreciate horror? all the nuances and I think Midsummer was one that I definitely could do that and I absolutely loved it we reviewed it on Girls on Film and we all three female critics actually really loved it I thought it had so much to say in addition to that dread and the, the the more visual sides of the horror I think it was very psychological so it was much more my kind of horror than I might expect it
1: Cool. Yeah, I have actually managed to, to watch it. I spend infinitely too much time watching rubbish films these days.
2: Well, it's kind of your job now, isn't
1: it? <laughs> it is kind of my job now. Um, you say I'm, I'm, actually very similar when we, because we tend to try and cycle the genres. Um, when it comes down to horror, I'm not. I'm never particularly looking forward to it.
2: Yeah, I think that's it. Because I mean, by its very nature, you know that you're going to probably find it quite traumatic and it's not something that i tend to seek out but as a critic i'm actually really glad that i've um sort of bit bullet and seen quite a lot of the horrors i have because i've ended up really loving them
1: yeah unfortunately my wave not so much yeah the nun was the last one and it was just it was everything you'd expect it to be Uh, moving on from good films, um, we, uh, had, uh, we used to call them Guilty Pleasures, but we found that no one's particularly guilty these days. So um, we've sort of relabeled them as the unpopular opinion film. And um, um, I believe you chose, and I watched this afternoon, um, The Spy Who Dumped Me.
2: Correct, I did. I did. Susanna Fogel's film uh, with Mila Kunis and Kate McKinnon. A spy comedy. It wasn't. it wasn't
1: like horribly badly received by the uh, reviewers, but it was kind of one of those ones that sort of fair to middling. So, um, can you tell me why you picked this film out?
2: Well, I partially chose it because in girls on film, what we like to do is provide a female perspective where it may be wanting, and I felt that in the case of the reviews for the spy who dumped me, we really needed more women reviewing this film. If you look on the aggregator sites and you look on the YouTube videos you look at the mainstream newspaper reviews, very, very few women got to review this film. I reviewed it for Metro, I gave it four out of five, albeit a low four with a kind of condition in the review. But um, I feel that this is an interesting example of a film where inherently, I do think it is more of a women's film. And there are more things in this that are mitigating factors for a woman watching it that might help you forgive its dodgy side, you know, the side that some male reviewers were perhaps using as their main impetus to give it to out of five.
1: Yeah, I initially saw this film um, just as a sort of Netflix a Netflix flick. We were just uh, sort of sat watching it popped up. Um, I was surprised by the film in the sense that um, I did expect it to be quite as violent as it was, sort of like from the sort of uh, posters covers, the initial blurb. I was expecting something a lot lighter.
2: Why? Is it, why do you do you think if it had, had two men in the lead, you would have we would have been similarly surprised? Um, I don't know. I, I think
1: it's mostly the title of the film. It's kind of quite a very light title Um, and as I say the artwork and just the blurb that was on it because I knew nothing of the film before watching it it was was literally just one of those impulse watches initially the very first first time before uh, we watched again for for this but yeah I I think I was remember being the first time quite surprised at the the level of violence in it.
2: Yeah I think you're worried about the name because you know I I was sometimes wondering whether because a a number of reviewers said that they felt that um, it was more violent than they expected and not like I particularly seek out violence but I didn't feel that way but I think it it was badly marketed. I think you're right about the name. I think the name makes it sound like an Austin Powers kind of movie. Yeah. Um, spy spoof, and it's not a spy spoof. It's a story of two best friends uh, who are female who ends up pulled into the spy world when they discover that one of their boyfriends is a spy or was a spy. And then they go on a madcap mission, stolen things, blah, blah, blah. The point of it isn't really the plot to my no. mind. But the point of it is that it's um, a story about the relationship between two people who are tested along the way, but actually refreshingly don't necessarily massively fall out. Small spoiler there. Um, so it's, <laughs> it's really a, a buddy movie. Um, but I think you do get that from some of the, the um, posters, but I think the trailers were awful for this, and I think a lot of people avoided it who might have enjoyed it.
1: Yeah. Oh yeah, I thought it was totally enjoyable and as I said the level of violence I you know, I watch violent films all the time it, it wasn't um a turn off for the film itself um it just sort of surprised at the level of action in the film because of the marketing because of the title the, the the poster artwork and things like that it was um yeah it was it was a bit weird um but it was very refreshing, like you say, to to not have that. I mean, I don't think that's even just a normal sort of like um, in most buddy films. You have the, like a, the part where someone overhears a conversation that they shouldn't heard about them not being really friends or some other sort of contrivance to split them up and then to bring them back together at the end it was nice not to have that in this particular film
2: definitely i think that was refreshing and it was exciting and it was fun to see the two women kind of take it on and also i mean we've seen a few films do this but it very much looks at i'm not saying it's deeply realistic but how things might actually play out if you were asked to find a you know, hard drive, and then you know, hide it and somewhere, and then run. You know, try to steal a disguise from somebody, and and it, and it actually looks at the collateral damage involved quite seriously at points, and and also how women might react, or just human beings, yeah. in, in a clumsy way, but in, and also in an ingenious way. So I felt like you were going on a bit of a fun journey with them, even though it had a really, really standard, you know, kind of a spy plot. I thought the detail in the way that they approached it together was was quite engaging, and I also think you know I mean everyone's picked out Kate McKinnon yeah um, as the wonderfully named Morgan Freeman, um, but I thought also Mila Kunis was really good in this as, as Audrey. She's the, she's the kind of straight woman, but she also does have some really really funny lines. I mean this is like so one una- of but Susanna Fogel, who um, directed and co-wrote, wrote this, she also co-wrote Book Smart, which I, th- I think did a much better job in the final edits and the final script. But I think it's still got that kind of fresh humour in parts and also the level of detail in the humour. Do you remember the scene when well, you do, because you've just watched it, but the scene where they're, they're both being tortured and in order to prove somehow there's a contrivance, they have to prove they know each other really well and there's this yeah. fast fire... Yeah story about you know um, Audrey can't come because she's on antidepressants and you know just this weirdly specific stuff that is is kind of illuminating for the characters slightly disturbing but also really quite funny and I thought I thought that was really interesting I know that it's not packaged that well but I was consistently intrigued by that.
1: I also liked um, the fact that with a lot of these sort of um, comedy romps where there is sort of action elements is that in the third act, they tend to um, lazily just eschew the comedy in favour of like moving the plot forward and um, staging some small action pieces. But as you point out, during that sort of torture scene, they're still funny moments. And there is no point in this film where there isn't some comedy.
2: That's so true. I think you know. I think they, they do work hard to try and get as many gags into every scene as possible. You know, not all of them work. But I think, um, and then they really mix the kinds of humor as well. I mean, you've obviously got a lot of physical comedy. You've got some some quite crude comedy, but you've also got observational comedy. And um, and I think they, they even managed to mix sort of high and low brow comedy in one sentence, like that. <laughs> the question that Roger asks: Are you into Balzac? Yeah, <laughs> it less and less than every encounter and it's just it's just quite funny
0: there's a
1: surprise inclusion of Edward Snowden in there as well which is uh, was kind of like a, a payoff to a long one joke I spoke of, or a long one in set up from the beginning of the film which um, I wasn't yeah, expecting
2: wasn't, it wasn't my favourite moment that because I felt you know when they try to bring real people into it but I'm never quite sure you know when you've got someone pretending to so, yeah, I, I, that, I mean, that's probably an example for me of a, a bit that didn't work. Yeah, But that didn't particularly matter to me. I didn't find it painful. I still kind of... I still was with the girls, and I'm not going to deny that it is, partly because it's so rare that we see two women together on screen, this kind of thing. I mean, obviously, you had Melissa McCarthy in Spy, and you had Sandra Bullock and, um, and Melissa McCarthy in Heat, which I loved. Um, and, and arguably, those films did it better. But I just felt this film didn't get the kind of credit that it deserves for trying to do something a bit different within that genre.
1: It was quite a low-key launch I'm assuming for it Cause I mean I believe it was out the sort of same sort of time as Mission Impossible which would have been I guess uh, maybe maybe it's the reason for the marketing maybe the reason for the sort of poster and stuff is to try and capture something that's not to capture an audience that isn't going to be going to see Mission Impossible at the same time.
2: Yeah so the alternate program thing isn't it yeah try and get get the girls in sort of thing but I think that they sort of they marked it at a bit too low for, actually. Um, but yeah, I, think, I remember we reviewed it in, I think, in the first episode of Girls on Film. And and actually, I mean, I, I picked it as my Bechdel test passer because, you know, we, we picked things that pass all fail the Bechdel test. Yeah. And, and my my other film critics and um, guests had said they hadn't bothered to see it because the trailer looked so bad. And these are women film critics. So the fact that it hadn't reached them... I felt it was, was a bit of a shame. It kind of missed its market, really.
1: There is a surprising cameo, uh, Lolly Atabobi.
2: Is she the one that's kind of um, just really mean?
1: Yeah, passive aggressive, mean.
2: Yeah, so, I thought what was interesting about her character is, is it's quite brave to make the comedy annoying friend a person of colour, actually. And, and in a way, that's really non judgmental because normally they have like the bitchy white girl. Yeah. Um, and I think the representation in this film isn't brilliant, but I think. In a way, that was quite a brave choice because they were just sort of normalising and not, and not it.
1: So we got um, some other characters in this film, as you mentioned, um, Nadia, who's the, uh, the the female assassin. Who I thought was um, absolutely. Haunting to look at, um, and incredibly terrifying.
2: Yes, yeah, she's got a wonderful look, and I think that the, the hair and makeup is really well done in this instance. And you can, she just sort of has these piercing supermodel looks, but really gazes into the camera and into the character's faces in quite an alarming manner. And the way that they respond to that is in turn quite funny. As you know, a James Bond film, the the cool criminal wanders in and people to sort of shudder internally but Kate McKinnon is literally sort of recoiling and you know, it gives her a chance to really do it myself, doesn't it?
1: Yes yeah, it's, it's, it's it's um it, that's part of that torture scene and it is um it is excellent Where um, she's just describing her um beauty in attempts to sort of like get her to warm to her yeah it was, it was quite quite humorous she's described in the blurb as a um model slash gymnast slash assassin which is probably the the finest sort of example of a slashy I've seen.
2: Yeah, yeah, that's a pretty good one. I mean, it, it has a slightly Bond feel to it, doesn't it? That, I mean, you think someone like I don't know Grace Jones and Bond film, you know, this kind of really ethereal, amazing-looking superwoman villain. Um, I, I was slightly disappointed we didn't have more um, villainous female characters, actually. Uh, but then there's we're getting a bit spoiler if we if we say who the real villains are. But I think I think we obviously have to talk about and Anderson as well in this film. Yes. Who plays Who plays the big boss? Um, and uh, again, I think you know just the way that Kate McKinnon plays off her when she walks into the room as the head of the is it the CIA? Yeah, I think it's the CIA. Yeah. Um, yeah. And she sort of drifts in and then she just starts just just absolutely girl crushing on her and says, "You are the boss, and yet you have not sacrificed one ounce of femininity." And <laughs> You know that you know that Kate McKinnon's has probably had a hand in 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 not just the delivery of that, but the wording. But um, and that also I think plays in really well to two kind of common, um, you know, kind of lesbian icons, which is Kate McKinnon and Gillian Anderson. So yeah. not say is is lesbian, but she has a huge LGBT um, fan base. So I think that really played into that in really neatly. But it didn't overplay it. They didn't make a big thing of it. They just kind of touched on it, and they sort of hint that. Um, Morgan Freeman is bisexual. I think in a couple of scenes, but again, they don't they don't expand on that too much. It's just some fun little throwaway jokes.
1: Yeah, I, I like the um, uh, must be what nearly the end scene where uh, Kate's on the phone to um, Dylan Anderson's characters, um, and got, obviously basically just giving herself a job and such a straight-faced reply is like, you know, I I don't want to see you again, sort of things. Like, of course not, see you on Monday, sort of thing. And it was just, it was really um, (laughs) great. Well, I I do wonder how much was sort of ad-libbed by Kate McGinnan. I know I've done some reading, I know some of the... Uh, the, the food puns in the after-credits scene, uh, well, after scene, so it's about two seconds after credits, and some other bits and pieces were ad-libbed, and um, it was very hard to, to sort of play against her because it was cracking when I on set.
2: Yeah, I mean, she is a total scene stealer, but I mean, that's a great compliment, but you, you definitely feel that there, there's the film and then there's the Kate McKinnon show kind of floating through it at its own pace rather brilliantly. But I think her style complements this film well you know so i think it's it's a good match and it i think you know i think it's not necessarily fair to say it elevates it because it is a character that was written by someone else but it's the film certainly benefits hugely from that casting
1: yeah i like the character because where she's sort of left field you can kind of it's more believable her responses to stuff um, uh, me Chris was talking in a recent um, in the last podcast about horror films about how in real life we would just be sort of uh, crying in a corner shouting ourselves to death um, out of sheer terror whereas you know when you have these characters it's, it makes it more believable I guess that they would sort of take these things on their stride you know push a garth off a, uh, off a balcony um, shoot someone for the first time things without really you know having the sort of months and years of therapy that I'd probably need if I had to do similar actions.
2: Well you know to t- quote one of the film's characters, you know, Morgan is a bit much and she's the sort of character that pushes her friend Audrey into extreme situations or makes her embrace them and increases her bravery or her sense of sort of you know, let's just go for it and I think you really need that dramatically speaking for this film because if it was just two kooky normal women that I don't think, it, you're right, it would have worked. I think I think it has to be someone who reacts bizarrely to situations in a way that propels them into further bizarre situations. Yeah,
1: it certainly helps get the plot along. I did also like the, uh, the the robbing of the backpackers scene where they were trying to find two people. Not only did they want to steal their passports, but people that they want to be like rather than just, you know, someone that they looked most like.
2: Yeah, that was really fun. And again, that, that was one of the, the scenes... I enjoyed that felt like it, it might have almost come from a slightly real place. You know, if, if a woman was going, well, okay, I've got to assume someone's identity, then you want to have a little think about that. <laughs> and there's also, there's, also, there's um, some fun scenes um, when the assassin is, is looking for two dumb American women, I quote. Um, and this film is not afraid to poke fun at Americans because she's no. looking through her particulars at all these, you know, <laughs> you know Americans abroad kind of, staggering around drunk and vomiting, just being kind of useless tourists. And I thought that was very funny. It's not anti-American, it's affection towards his characters, but it was having a little wink at the stereotype of the American tourists, that was funny.
1: Yeah, that's one of the singleest greatest sort of sighs on camera, where um, after she's kind of like, you know, scoped these uh, these couples that she's seen, she's quite clearly uh, absolutely <laughs> exasperated by the, the lack of description, because everyone fits the description that she's been given.
2: Exactly.
1: Yeah, it's quite a funny. Joke. To sum up, then, with the film, do we feel that this film deserves? A, obviously you feel it at least be out of the bunker and, and seen worldwide. Um, do we think that this film's greatest sort of hampering is a lack of audience, a lack of the right audience, and maybe poorly, very poorly marketed.
2: Well, I think it actually did okay at cinemas. Um, I don't think it's a sort of necessarily a hidden gem, and people are discovering it online. Um, but and I certainly wouldn't, by contrast, hold it up as one of the best films of the last year or anything <laughs> like that. I think, I think it fits neatly into the category that you said, which is underestimated films and films yeah. that have not been as popular with critics specifically as. I think they should have been.
1: Yeah, couldn't agree more. I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it the first time I watched it. I had to watch it again um, just because I, I liked it. My memories are what it used to be. And uh, so I have to refresh these things and I watched it on the same day. And I enjoyed it the second time around.
2: Well, I'm glad you enjoyed it and I didn't make you watch something you hated. Although, of course, you've disproved my theory that there's a gender gap in terms of what men and women think of this film. Sorry. <laughs> Although I still stand by that there is very specific kinds of humour. I bet that your wife was probably laughing a little bit harder at it than you were.
1: Yes, yes, some things probably just went past my head, uh, unbeknownst to my, my male brain.
2: Yeah, I mean, the, the same applies in the reverse so often. And that's the thing. We're so often used to seeing crap boy uh, comedies with very male-based humour and we're learning to identify with that. But, you know, that, that some of those jokes will resonate more, more with men than women by their very nature. So I think that's one of these films. Do you
1: think there's really not enough films that are sort of just literally targeted as such? Do you think too many films try to be too many things to too many people?
2: Oh, how do you mean? This, this should have been targeted more specifically as a female film, do you think? Or just saying?
1: maybe not this film specifically, but, you know, do you think that maybe this film, some of its weaker elements is because they try to dilute it to make it more of a date movie so that you know, that aims and things squarely at the male audience.
2: I think, I think yeah, one of its problems is it is trying to be too many things. And maybe, as you say, some people were uncomfortable with the level of violence, which didn't really match the kind of humor necessary. I think that was an issue. And I think that might have put some viewers off. Um, in general, I think, you know, the whole point of the success, or at least a critical success of a film like Smart is that, you know, um, people are funny. It doesn't have to be a female comedy. It doesn't have no. to be a male comedy. I mean, yeah, that might also have some of the qualities I'm talking about, that there'll be a few gags that young women get a bit more because they get resonant. But generally, um, you know, people are funny, good writing is good writing, good movies are good movies. And whether it's directed or written by or starring man or a woman, um, audiences should all have an equal chance of seeing it and they should be marketed equally because I do feel that they're, not enough money is often put into female directed films like this one.
1: No, no. Okay.
2: Um, well, thank
1: you for that, Anna. That was um, really, 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 really good. Thank you for making me watch that again. I did enjoy it. Um, where can we find you online at the moment? Oh, I
2: really- so, um, girls on film, the podcast, you can hear it on iTunes, on SoundCloud, on Spotify, just type it into Google. You will find me girls on film with Anna Smith. And, um, you can also see girls on film live at the London podcast. Um, the London Podcast Festival on September 12th and also we're up in home in Manchester on September the 3rd Listen some special guests. So um, you can see us live, you can listen to us at home, that's where you'll find me um, but you can also see my general outlets at annasmithjourno.com at annasmith. Jenno on Twitter.
1: Lovely stuff. Um, <laughs> I've never watched live podcasts before. Have you? Is that something you've done before? Is this...
2: Well, you know, I, what, I, what interested in me was that I, I was planning to do, with my producers, to do a studio-based um, podcast. But in fact, we've had so many offers of live podcasts, it's really, really popular. Um, so we've been to Rotterdam, we've been to Cannes, um, we've, and this is only since October when we started. Right. Um, and we've done several Manchester shows. We've done Edinburgh, we've done Glasgow. People really, really enjoy it, and it's, it's a lovely chance for us to get to know the audience and for women and men in the audience to put their hands up at the end and have a debate about about is this film feminist? Should we care if it's a male director? All these kind of questions, you know, and, and put films to the Bechdel test, have a laugh about how much we love Greece, you know, all, all these things. Uh, you know, but uh, but we'll also recommend to them genuine films that, you know, new films that they really want to see they haven't heard about. So all that kind of mix is people like to join in and, and ask about and, and participate And you know, I've had some amazing contributions when we were up in Manchester, there was an, um, a nursery nurse who we've been talking about female superheroes. And she said, well, I, what's brilliant is that recently I've seen young girls in the playground. Finally, they can be a superhero in fancy dress, you know, yeah. And, yeah. and that's really empowering for them. So it's really great to hear from people who don't come from the film world like me to, to talk about their experiences as people you know in terms of gender and film specifically But yeah come along to a live show it's fun
1: yeah yeah it sounds really good it must be really um, rewarding to sort of get that instant feedback because obviously with podcasts you're kind of shouting into a vacuum
2: really nice a lot of the feedback we get is that it makes people think about films differently which is you know i can't ask for anything better than that you know we've just made them approach something from a slightly different angle and made them seek something out that they wouldn't have otherwise done and um, then fantastic
1: Okay, once again, thank you for your time. It's been absolutely wonderful talking to you and um, we're ever, always ever so grateful for people that um, take their time out. We could, we can't really understand why people do, but um, we're always massively, massively grateful when they do, do so.
2: I have really enjoyed it. Thank you very much for having me.
1: Oh, great interview, Matt. Cheers. Yeah, we had a little a few technical difficulties, so, so I, was, I was appearing to be more of a... a bumbling more on than standard, but um, it, it did produce the effects of um, me letting Anna speak a lot more than me, so uh, probably a lot better than if I'd have just twatted on in the background like I normally it's do. A,
0: it's a complete opposite to my interviews, then, where I basically <laughs> try not to let the guests <laughs> speak.
1: <laughs> yeah, maybe we should try and introduce a few more technical issues to your body. Or to I, know, I don't
0: know, I can't. I, I do stop myself and think, hang on a minute, I is there? do I still have a guest? <laughs> if we were to draw a graph of my process of my method, something like this. Sit not Ian, Sir Ian, Sir Ian, action. So it's our second pitch, and this time it's your turn, Matthew. Son of a pitch, we could call it. <laughs> um or
1: we'll it a pitch. Uh yes, yes. So you got a green note last time. I wanted to poo poo idea but I kind of liked it so Good. this is one that's been sort of kind of knocking around in my brain for a while and I started writing some notes so I'd kind of be able to sort of put together a pitch which was in some way in order and kind of cl- clear my and I ended up writing four pages of A4. Jesus. So I might, I, might, <laughs> I may have to, to, to jump. Pieces.
0: <laughs> Matthew before um, you start I'm gonna I'm not gonna interrupt you I'm gonna I'm going to let you go because I know this is your baby. So I'm going to let you fly. And then when you're ready for me to give throw scorn on it, (laughs) give me a verbal cue. All right. All right.
1: Okay. I'm all ears. You can jump in anyway. I I don't mind. I can. do. I'd
0: rather not. I want to hear you eject. So uh, I'm closing my eyes. Right. (laughs) Um, The
1: working title for this film is zombie. Okay. That's original. Oh, wow. It's a working title. (laughs) But it, I, it, it kind of works. You listen, you hear your thing, the thing. Right. So it opens. <laughs> Dreary day. Guys, I, so in my mind, this is Stephen Graham, by the way. I, I, I texted this earlier. He's kind
0: of the guy. This is, and that will tell you the sort of tone of the film. Um, the, the thing is, you texted me Stephen Graham and I thought, like, oh, yeah. But I don't know who he is.
1: <laughs> he's the guy that's in everything. Google him now. <laughs> Stephen Graham, he's like in all the bleak shit. This is England. Stephen Graham. Oh, Stephen Graham. Yes. Yes, of course. I'm, I'm, now, I'm now doubting that's his name. I I've I've literally have to Google it now so I don't sound like an absolute fucking dick. Yeah, no, Stephen Graham. Stephen Graham. He's in everything, right? Yeah, he's very good. So he's uh, in bed waking up drearily. You can hear the sounds of life in the background. A small child's getting ready for school with a mother helping him. Um, the radio's on in the bedroom, so I guess he's got a clock radio. These are the details that really sell a film. I feel <laughs> um, there's bad news, there's shit music on the radio, there's a bottle of pills next to the radio. He, he wearily picks up these pills, takes ones. As he takes it, there's a cue switch and the sounds of life become muted. Goes downstairs, kitchen, happy dad, joyful scenes, all's good in the world. Goes off to work. Um, usual sort of boss show. I was going to sort of set a lab to kind of give it more of a thing but I'm not sure whether that will work or not but hey we, we can discuss these points later his uh, boss is giving him some shit cuts to a scene asshole boss there's always an asshole boss in voice um, he's in the toilets washing his face um, gets gets his pills out but then the boss walks in, demands something instantaneously off of him, so he's a proper asshole boss. So he sees him pop his pills back in his pocket, walk back into the thing, doing work. He's got to work all night, late night work. Has a strained call with his wife. Clearly not everything's good at home. She, you know, isn't happy with his working life. He's not happy with his working life. He feels he's letting everyone down. Shit's going wrong all over the place. Have you basically
0: gets... have you been listening to my phone have you have you, do you know?
2: <laughs> I this just, is familiar just
1: ignore the blinking red light in the corner of your room chris it's not recording anything.
0: <laughs> <I promise>.
2: um. <laughs> this so is the finally...
0: autobiography isn't it like a, <laughs> not an autobiography you know what i mean like a biopic <laughs>
1: By pig, yeah. This is uh, this is a thing.
0: So um, yeah, goes home, work. records a podcast. <laughs> <Christ> <laughs> he hates is. his stuff. Hates his work. Why is it never? Why is it not charted? Yeah. Mm. <laughs> right.
1: Go on. Okay. Um, he looks out the window and he sees something strange going outside. But it's kind of flickery behind, sort of bushes. Something's obscuring it. Looks like a fight of some form. Not really sure. Kind of rubs his eyes. Katie's checks his watch it's getting fucking late time for him to go home gets down to his car fucking car won't start so he throws his bag and his fucking coat into his car He's
0: wearing swearing. Uh,
1: it's not adding anything to the, to the thing. <laughs> Like He throws his bag and his coat. Sorry, I was getting into the Stephen Graham mindset. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> throws his bag and his coat into the car, um, so he's got nothing on him anymore. Kind of just then starts um, a long walk home. Where did I get to? Da, 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 da. Get it's still on car. page one. <laughs> it's, it's still on page one, sorry. Leaves car and bag. Leaves really car and bag? Lee's bagging car. It's a small car. <laughs> uh, it's, it's quite nice. He hears distant screams. Things are, things are sort of tearing at the edges of reality in his head. So he sees some more weird shit going on, which you can't quite picture. Page two. Walking along, suddenly he sees someone in trouble down an alleyway. Like, ah, oh, what they're doing? And so he gets closer. And sees this fucking person's being eaten. <laughs> oh Christ. So shouts, shouts nothing, runs up, pushes the person attacking and eating the other things. The person turns around and it's all fucking zombie fight. Sorry, that one is... I needed a fucking in that one, surely. Because that's shocking, right? Ah! Zombie in his face, right? Then the the, the zombie comes at him and he's like fighting with the zombie guy, and then smashes him in the head with a brick. Then the person from the floor lunges up and they they become obviously zombified. And then he, he runs out of the alleyway and then sort of sees groups of other people um zombies uh coming towards him and he runs off and like he can hear like distant sounds of screaming and other stuff someone screams oh no he's dead ah! and screaming other screamings runs home uh, just kind of like this is like a, a fever dream moment so this flashes of terror all over the face. He, he gets home talks to his wife she doesn't really believe him uh, Kind of question why he is sort of feverish and crazy sounding. Uh, looks out the window, he sees, a, he, sees a, he sees a gathering of like these fucking zombies, um, <laughs> 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 and then he's he's you know, frantic conversations back and forth with his wife. Here's a banging at his door. Yeah, you know, he's like, the, you know, the zombies are trying to get in. It's quite clear. So his wife goes around to the door. They have a struggle. He's like, you can't open the door because they'll get us. And like in the struggle, she smashes her head and like goes down unconscious, dead. You don't know at this point. So the door starts to give way at this, and his kids screaming. He grabs a, a knife from the kitchen, opens the door, and stabs the first zombie. I was gonna swear again. Stabs the first zombie in the, the head. Kicks him away, secures the door, and takes his uh, prone wife upstairs and his child upstairs. It's kind of just like a sort of siege, borders up the doors and stuff. His wife comes too, but is too weak to really do anything. She's not really well. She wants to leave, call, do something, but he's getting more frantic. And then he starts having flashbacks of the instance he's seen. And inside these flashbacks, are micro flashes of different things than actually what happens. So instead of like uh, the people in the alleyway being uh, someone being eaten by a zombie and that, it's just like a, a couple having a, either a small tussle or just actually, you know, just getting on in an alleyway sort of thing. Um, he starts to become not sure anymore of himself. Um, then there's a huge crash, the front door goes in, ah, Jesus. So he doesn't have to think about anymore, he goes downstairs, sees zombies pouring into his house. He knows he's doomed, um, but he won't let them take him or his family. Runs upstairs, wife and child are crying, carrying a corner. Wife can see that he's absolutely gone. Sort of goes, runs at him, accidentally stabs herself.
2: Oh, she God.
1: she dies. <laughs> um, you can hear the, the furore of the zombies coming up the stairs. So he grabs hold of his child she's crying he's holding her tight too tight maybe because she's does to go still and silent the door crashes open the first zombie is like a police zombie but then the area he starts to tear and he sees like normal actual policemen stood there coming at him and he's like just screaming and screaming and the film ends
0: so yeah um, let me unpick this because clearly there's something going on with you (laughs) (laughs) because this is this is dark isn't it i mean if it's it's
1: it's a dark
0: film there is no joy in this at all the thing is it's a high it's a it's a nice concept because obviously he's he's obviously having a a, a mental breakdown and and but we don't know and i think if you're going to if you're going to tease the zombie element to it we're going to have to have it teased potentially a lot more set pieces with the zombies in it.
1: So yeah, that we, I mean, obviously I, I breezed over. I breezed mean, over. nothing like saying kids fight aliens in a computer game. I mean, I, you know, I think I gave it more detail
0: than that. <laughs> <laughs> you did, you did. I like it. I just, I think it's, I think you might have to give, I don't know, can you give people something a bit more? This isn't going to make a billion pounds. Like yours would probably
1: make a billion quid. Yeah this this is going to make a few people watch it and go I quite like that film but it was fucking bleak.
0: Yeah would you be then like thinking about I guess the, tying it to something like why he do we ever find out why he's having these these um these images of reality to what... So
1: it depends on which way you want to weight the film. So if you want to weight it towards sort of like the siege tension part of the film where, you know, because you can really stretch that bit out because... um, And whether or not you want to make it really, really obvious that he's actually the one having a mental breakdown and he's not seeing. So I kind of like leaving the ambiguity there of like people at the end going, like uh, Inception with the spinning thing.
0: Yeah, I like the idea. You could basically be saying like, you know, Telling his wife and his kids everything's okay, and that like, we've got to stay here and don't, you know, the, the, the phones aren't working because he's maybe he's pulled them out the wall, but we don't know that. Uh, yes yeah. so, you know, the the, the the problem is, I guess, with this kind of movie idea is the fact that any, anyone can get online and see what's going on, or turn the telly on and see what's going on. Yeah.
1: So this is the thing. Is is why the the wife has to become incapacitated at a yes. reasonably early yes. point, yes. 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 because obviously then it's just him his reality and a small
0: child who you know doesn't know one way or the other so we'd have to set child sort of like because five, he could he could old. yeah yeah because if the kids are young he could be saying they could be watching the tv in the news and there could be a riot going on somewhere and that that footage of that rise you know he should be saying look see look it's
1: it's bad out there Kids Can't
0: go out there You know <laughs> They're gonna get eaten up By some, some fucking Get know, away from mate.
1: the window Don't touch <laughs> it Don't turn the light on You're you fucking They hear us They hear us Hey Don't Stay sit. quiet They're fucking hear us But that are there
0: Dada, when's Bobby going to wake up? <laughs> <laughs> call the doctor. What about Auntie Jean? Can we call Auntie Jean? Auntie Jean is gone, love. Auntie go Jean around. can't come round right now. No, she's busy, love. She's busy. She's too yeah. busy to come round today, eh, love. She's, yeah. she's probably fighting off her own fucking armies.
1: <laughs> so, yeah, so, I mean, th- th- that is something I thought of in terms of, like, you know, in this day and age, it'd be something reasonably simple to clarify if whether or not there was a zombie apocalypse happening or not mm. um, unless it was something that's incredibly local and recent and maybe not on the news yet so you can kind of argue that um, you could oh. move the zombie thing into being some like individual uh, terror you know like a, a, a werewolf psycho kind of Friday the 13th kind of actor against mm. it but I, I kind sort of like the idea of uh, him killing people that he believed to be zombified but turns out were just sort of like a couple of uh, teenagers necking in an alleyway kind of thing and
0: my my i, I love the idea and i love the premise the only th- thing i would recommend is instead of it being a movie this is a black mirror episode yes i mean it works
1: it works as a short because it's, it's it's pacing is it's
0: yeah like you important. can play it a lot you can play it uh, to a 60 minute uh, Black Mirror episode because they do they've done they've got similar things and obviously then you're looking at it's a <clears throat> it's a metaphor for you know capitalism and, and life and he's being worked to to serve you know and all this that and the other and you know you tie in a few kind of political yeah. drug wow. drug dependency, prescription nation. People not really reaching out for
1: help, not getting actual help, just getting yeah, yeah, you know, yeah, just getting muted. I think a lot of it's gonna. I'm actually talking like it's being made, but a lot of the the, the nuance of the film would be in the sound, and you know the where you can cue things off with sound of just seen in horror films. Like I say, the important like you know takes his pills, and as soon as he kind of takes the pills, life starts to mute you know, like actually that sort of muting of the radio as family, but, uh, you know, indicating that kind of prescription kind of drug fog.
0: I think it's a great idea. And it definitely got legs. You should write it a bit more, flesh it out a bit more and, and send it over to Charlie Brooker. Get over to Charlie. Yeah, I'm sure he'll do it. But yeah, great one. I really like it. And I, I'm, you know, I want to pour scorn on it because nothing gives me greater pleasure than just, <laughs> just shooting Gets you out of the sky with my massive gun. Um, but oh, it's yeah, massive no, now, is it? It's massive, yes. Yeah, huge pistol. But no, I don't think I can. I think it's it's dark. Maybe the ending could be that the boy is, or the, or the child is ultimately released and he looks down and goes, what the fuck? And he and the kid looks like, Daddy, what's wrong? And the, as the police sort of take him away, maybe the ending could be that the, the child survives as opposed to, you know, gets, getting murderized I, mean, murderized, I think, yeah. I think that's a nicer, not a nicer ending, but it's certainly a bit more um, palatable than having children dying on TV. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, you can
1: always leave that as a kind of, did it die? Did it not die?
0: Can't. Nah, let it live. Let it live. I mean, if I could just see, I think I could just let the let the child live, Matthew. Well, right, <laughs> fuck it. <laughs> <laughs> Great one. So I guess it's my turn next, isn't it? I guess. Again.
1: Yeah, yeah. Now it's your turn, to pits. So I'm just going to go off and take my medication now,
0: and then <laughs> we'll be okay. Uh, yeah, we're all on that sort of jazz. I guess if you like what you hear on Matthew's idea, get involved on social media and, and give us the thumbs up uh, or thumbs down or middle in thumbs. Actually, don't give us the thumbs down because Matthew's taking a lot of time. He's written four pages. Uh, no, no,
1: thumbs down. All criticism is, is you know, is, is growth.
0: Feedback. It's not criticism. It's feedback.
1: It's, yeah, feedback is um, well and truly...
0: You know, appreciated he's welcomed yeah he's not, and then not,
1: not, gonna, not gonna like everyone's not gonna like this my uh my my five-year-old hated the prospect <laughs> of being killed by her dad <laughs> and i'm i'm sure she's sleeping now but she did seem quite terrified when i put her down earlier and <laughs> read this story to her <laughs>
0: You'll hear us again in another, another episode of the movie bunker, movie bunker podcast when we review movie bunker. <laughs> a film.
1: <laughs> so, how we say this now?
0: I've got to take my medication. That's what it is. I'm starting to get a bit of, cot- bit
1: of cot- mouth.
0: <laughs> so, um, like, subscribe, download, leave a review, and uh, get involved. That's all we say at the end of these movie, uh, movie yep. bunker podcasts now. Yeah? The pleading's going out the window.
1: <laughs> yeah. Cheerio. Bye. What's that sound? What's at the door?